teaching. Uh, today, if you would, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 40. If you're using the Blue Bible, that's page 89. Exodus chapter 40. We're going to begin in verse 17. Exodus 40, verse 17. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table of the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Let's stop there for a moment. So Moses finished the work. He built something. Now, just reading through that once, or even reading through it ten times, it is very hard to envision what is being built. So the book of Exodus, it starts out incredibly exciting. I remember reading Exodus for the first time. I believe I was a senior in high school. And, you know... They're like an angel appears to Moses, and the people of God are slaves, and they're crying out, and there's oppression, there's injustice, there's all kinds of awful things, and God starts answering their prayers, and he's pulling them away from Egypt, you know, sending them to a land that they can call their own, and he does these crazy miracles, he's defeating uh, the enemies of God's people, uh, who are their enslavers, and... and you know, God does all kinds of awful things to the Egyptians so that the Egyptians let them go. And then they get to the Red Sea. They're finally leaving. They get to the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army is coming. And they're worried about the, the army overtaking them and taking them back to slavery. And then God decides to split the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land into uh, kind of the, part of the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula today. And they go up there. And then God gives them the law. And the Ten Commandments. 
And that gets us from chapter 1 through chapter 24. And then we get to chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And everything from those two verses to the end of Exodus, including what we read today, is affected by chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. Let me read 25, verse 8 and 9. God says to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary. Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So God just took his people out of slavery. They're in the middle of a desert. There's no food around for most likely hundreds of thousands of people. And God wants to be with them. God wants to be amongst them. And God, in order to do that, he requires a place that is holy. In 25 verse 8 it says, let them make me a sanctuary. That word sanctuary means a holy place. We use that in our American church vocabulary today. But he tells Moses to build a sanctuary so that God tells Moses to build a sanctuary so that he may dwell with his people. See, a month ago we celebrated Christmas. And this is Jesus who is Emmanuel. He is God with us. I want to tell you something. That was not a new idea. Now, the arrival of Jesus into our world is incredibly significant for obvious reasons. And it is the greatest way, I believe, in which God has dwelt with people in this world. But that was not a new thing. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? What did God do with Adam and Eve before they sinned? He dwelt among them. He lived life with them in many ways. They would talk face to face, I believe it says. And they had fellowship and regular communication with one another. Sin entered the picture. It damaged that relationship. It was no longer a holy place, so God couldn't, God would not come and be in that place with them. But here we are, many generations later. And what is God doing? God wants to be with people. God wants to dwell amongst His chosen nation. And so how does He do that? He tells them to build a building. It's a tent, actually. It's portable. It goes up and down fairly quickly, I think, from what I've read uh, over the last few weeks concerning this matter. But in chapter 40, when we get to verse 33, which is the last verse I read a moment ago, it says, So Moses finished the work. So from chapter 25 to chapter 40, pretty much almost all of that last 15 chapters of Exodus is about this building. It's highly repetitive. It's one of the most boring. When, when you're just reading through it, it just seems as boring as it can be. But when you dig into it, the meaning and the beauty of all that God is doing through that tabernacle is just off the charts incredible. So I want to show you some pictures. My intro today is going to be a little bit longer than usual, and my conclusion after our discussion is going to be a little bit shorter than usual, I think. But I want to show you some pictures. Uh, let's go to the first picture, and I'm going to just give you an idea of what this building looks like. So here's, the, here's a photo, an aerial photo. It's like a house plan of the structure that is described. 
The edge of the large white rectangle is this curtain. It's a wall. It's about, it's about six to seven feet high, and it forms a rectangle. So in the, on the right end, you see the smaller triangle, and that's a tent. There's no windows. You can't see in it. You can't see out of it, but it's divided into two rooms. It's 45 feet long by 15 feet wide, and it's divided into two rooms. You have the holy place. You also have the Holy of Holies. We're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come. And then out, and within, well, okay, so then outside of it, you've got a bronze labor, which is a sink for the priests to wash their hands. And then you have a bronze altar, which is where animal sacrifices would be presented over and over and over again for God's people. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, so this is a picture of it. This is what it looked like at nighttime. At nighttime, the glory of God would be above the tent or the tabernacle. The word is the same thing. But this is how God would dwell amongst his people. You can see the larger rectangle, and then you can see the, the tent-like building, or the building-like tent that's in the middle of it. Let's go to the next one. That's a picture of a, the same picture which you saw um, on the screen a few minutes ago. But that's from a distance. We got four or five more slides just to show you what's inside of it. To the next one, please. All right, that is the altar where the animals would be sacrificed. It was a fire pit. They would kill the animal. There were different types of sacrifices that they would put on it, and they would put it in there, and the fire would come up, and as that blood was shed and as that animal was consumed, it would provide temporary forgiveness of sin for God's people. Let's go to the next slide. All right, that is the entrance to the tent, and that is the, uh, the sink where the priests would, or the basin where the priests would wash their hands uh, before they would do different rituals and ceremonies that God's people had to do. Uh, next, I think we're going inside the tent. Okay, this is in the holy place, which is the larger of the two rooms, and this is the, um, there's a few different names for it, but it's, it's pretty much the light of God, and it has to continually be turned on. To the next one. Alright, this is also in the large room. This is called the table with uh, the bread of the presence on it. This is the entrance into the second room, where we get, the, which is the smaller room beyond that veil. And the veil is very important, as we're going to see in the weeks to come. Um, the high priest would only go through that veil once a year to sacrifice um, or to offer incense before the Lord. Um, and you see the little thing in front of it, the little gold thing, that is the place where they would burn incense. And this is inside the Holy of Holies. This is what they call the Ark of the Covenant. And you see the angels on top. Well, that place there where the angels are seated is called the Mercy Seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, the Jewish people would keep the two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. They would keep Aaron's bud that had rotted, and they would also keep some of the manna, which is the free food that God miraculously gave them every single day throughout their wilderness journeys. And so I wanted to kind of show you that just to give you a very simple, very quick idea of what that building looked like. That is how God wanted to dwell in his, in his people. And if you look at the book of Hebrews and a bunch of other places, 
Every single one of those items has symbolism that points to the gospel. And God revealed a little bit of himself through that building and through all those different items in very, very special ways. God told Moses to build it because he wanted to dwell there, and that's exactly what he did. Let's read the last four or five verses of this chapter. This is what happened immediately after he built it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Those last five verses are packed. There's a lot in there for us today. Let me pray, and then we're going to give you all a few minutes to read over those last few verses yourself. And if you want to read about the building, go for it also. Let's pray and read and then jump into our discussion. Father, I thank you that you want to dwell with us. God, would you speak to us? And amaze us as we read your word today. Amen. So, last week we saw that God provided a sacrifice. He provided the perfect sacrifice in his sovereign plan at just the right time. And that story about Abraham and Isaac that we looked at last week from Genesis 22, that happened about 2,000 years before Jesus lived. Well, the story we're looking at today happens about 1,500 years before Jesus comes. So there's about 500 years between what we did last week, where we saw that God provided a sacrifice, and where we're at this week. Let me give you a pop quiz. You don't need to raise your hand. Just say the answer. Uh, What was the name of the mountain that we looked into last week? Does anybody remember? Alright, we heard several. I heard Mount Sinai, I've heard Mount Moriah. Did, were there any other ones? Alright, Mount Sinai is where our story is happening today. Last week, we looked at Mount Moriah. and They are two different places, but last week we looked at Mount Moriah. Everyone say Moriah. Moriah, Moriah is very important. But today, we are on Mount Sinai. And it takes place about 500 years after Abraham and Isaac. It takes place about 1,500 years before Jesus. Now, I told you earlier that the first part of the book of Exodus talks about how God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Well, the completion of this tabernacle took place almost exactly one year after they went through the Red Sea. If you're not familiar with this part of the Bible but you've ever seen Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments from, I'd say, 30 to 50 years ago. I'm not sure. I've seen it a few times in ages past. But, you know, this is about one year after they went through the Red Sea. And this tabernacle was built shortly after the Ten Commandments are given. So let's read verse 34 and 35 together. Or, Or I'll read it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the cloud covered it. And throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and even Deuteronomy, we see this cloud during the daytime. And this cloud is the presence of God. This cloud is the visible manifestation or the visible representation for the people, for God himself, and everyone could see it. And then at nighttime, instead of it being a pillar of cloud, it was a pillar of fire. But when the tabernacle was built, the cloud covered the tent of the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled it. It says that in verse 34. And then in verse 35, it says again, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle two times. What is the glory of the Lord? It's a religious word, glory. You know, I think previous generations and previous centuries, we use the word glory a bit more than we do today. It's not something that most people, it's not a word that is part of, you know, everyday normal conversations usually. But this word glory and this idea of the glory of God, it has to do with the weight of God or the heaviness of God. You know, I can be sitting in a chair at home and one of my children can get in my lap. I experience a little bit of their weight, but I don't have to hold all of it up because I'm being supported by a chair. But if one of my kids comes up to me when I'm standing, y'all stay in your seat, when my kids comes up to me when I'm standing and I pick them up, then I'm feeling their full weight. I'm experiencing and, and supporting more of their weight, more of their heaviness. Well, when I think about the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle, and when I look at what it says that Moses was not able to enter it because the cloud settled on it and because the glory was in it, we had, I won't say it like this because I don't know how else to say it, there was a lot of God there. You've had experiences in your life where you felt like there was a God thing that happened. Or you saw God's hand in a small way. Well, then you've had other experiences where you felt like God really showed up in a really huge, really incredible way. Well, this was perhaps most likely one of the greatest times in history up to this point where God just showed up. And He showed up so powerfully that Moses could not even approach him. But the Hebrew word translated glory, it is the, the root of that word uh, is the same root used in words translated for weight or heaviness. But the weight of the, like that you could just feel his presence. I also I kind of think about it almost and this is mysterious, you know, I, I, I can't there's so much about this we can't explain. So I'm trying to explain the un, unexplainable. But I it just seems like it was very thick. That word thick has been on my mind this week. You know, it, it's, it's like a really thick fog. You can't even see 100 feet in front of you when you're trying to drive 55 miles an hour. You know, but then you have other days where there's no <laughs> fog at all. Well, the glory of the Lord just came down and it was thick. It was, he was present heavily. I think about the first song that we sang this morning. One of the lines and it says, In light, inaccessible, hit from our eyes. That um, God is in light. And it is, he is inaccessible. Okay? God was dwelling in that tent, and Moses did not have access to go in and see God. 
We know from other times in, in the Old Testament where there were times where people saw more of God than they should have and they couldn't handle it and God, maybe they weren't supposed to see God and, and, and God judged them and he killed them, but there were other times where in, in our bodies today we just could not handle the pure, full holiness of God. For us today, we cannot see all of God at one time. We cannot handle it. The glory of God showed up in a very special way. And God was there. And we get to verse 36. Throughout all their journeys. Okay, they were journeying. They were journeying for many decades. Longer than I've been alive, actually. They had a 40-year trip from Egypt where they were enslaved to the land that God was going to give them. Now the truth is, that trip should have just taken a few months. But many of these people who were traveling were not faithful to God. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. So God said, I am going to wait to take you home to the land I'm giving you. I'm going to wait. And all of you who haven't trusted me or believed me, you're going to die out there wandering around in these 40 years on this three-month trip. You're going to die out there. And you're going to see me, and I'm going to provide for you, and, and I'm not going to forsake you, but I'm going to withhold the blessing of letting you come into the land that I want to give you. And so, this was their journey. And really, that journey covers is covered... From Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, even into the very first part of the book of Joshua, those first five of the first six books of the Old Testament. So verse 36, throughout all their journeys, we get that there's a journey. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. I, they didn't know if they were going to be on the road tomorrow or not. When I travel hundreds of miles to see family or on vacation, I usually know a few weeks ahead of time when I'm going. They didn't know. They'd be here one day, and God might send them the next day. And I believe that there are times in our life where God works that way for us. That God is moving and He's working in one area or one place in your life, and then God gets up and moves and He says... Come on with me for a different season. Come on with me in a different place. I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I almost kind of think that's what happened to Emma and Becky. <laughs> they, they put a sign in their yard to sell their house on Monday, and they were under contract by Wednesday. Nobody was anticipating that. But they got up, and they moved as the Lord led, and as they had opportunity. Verse 38 for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Why did God tell them to build the tabernacle? Somebody answer. So he could be their presence? Yes. So he could dwell with them. So he could be in their presence, and so that they could be in his presence. And it says that this was done in the sight of of all of Israel. Hundreds of thousands of people camping out on every side of this tabernacle. And God is right in the middle. He is right in the middle. This story that we're covering, there's a reason we're covering this story, and it'll become clear between now and Easter. 
But God wants to dwell with us. What was broken in Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit is slowly being restored. And there's different chapters, there's different seasons in this story. But this tabernacle is the beginning of a new season for people. This tabernacle is the beginning of a new season for God's creation. And this tabernacle points us to Jesus. The man that we've been learning about for the past year through the Gospel of Mark. He came. And what did he do with us? He pitched a tent. He tabernacled. He dwelled amongst us. One of our most common verses to see at Christmas time is John 1.14. John writes that the Word, which is Jesus, became flesh and He dwelt amongst us. So Moses built this building 1,500 years before Jesus got here and that building was all about Jesus. The same thing that God did in Jesus, God was doing in that building in a lesser way. And both of these stories of God dwelling in the tabernacle and Jesus living is amazing. It's incredible. But John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us. And John goes on to say that we have seen His glory. If you saw Jesus, you've seen His glory. And I believe that in a way we can see His glory today. And I, I think about when it says we've seen His glory, I think about the glory of God filling the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even go into it. But we have seen His glory. And what type of glory is that according to John? It is glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, God, when you see Him in His when you see Him in His full heaviness, His full weight, you know, when I'm holding my, my, the full weight of my kid in my arms, you know, like I feel all of Him and I can describe my, my son or my daughter that I'm holding. But when I feel and I see and I sense and I experience the glory of God, what do we see? We see grace and we see truth. See, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, when Jesus was crucified, he asked Jesus, uh, just hours before he put on the cross, he looked straight at Jesus and he says, what is truth? And Jesus says, I am truth. And he says, I am grace. What is grace? Grace is that inward disposition of God's heart where he just gives. And he gives and he gives and he pursues and he pursues and he pursues. And he comes and he comes into the middle of our mess. He comes into the middle of our train wreck. He comes into the middle of our brokenness and he gives grace. He speaks truth to us. And he gives grace so that we can come to him. See, this tabernacle is all about Jesus. Isaac, last week, was all about Jesus. God is dwelling with us. God is restoring what was lost in Eden. God sent Jesus. And God is going to dwell amongst us even more in the future 
as the end comes and as the new heavens and the new earth are established. And there will be a day in our resurrected bodies where we can look straight into the face of God. It is God's plan to dwell with us. And I tell you, that's some truth right there. And if he wasn't a God of grace, then he could not be with us. There is good news for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you stink or how ugly you are or whatever boneheaded decision you have made this week, God loves you and He wants you. And He will dwell with anyone who comes to Him and says, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. I want to be yours. God dwells with man. He does it today. He did it then. And for all eternity, anyone who comes to Him may dwell with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your